we do the jobs, and by the time Monday morning comes round, God is like completely forgotten, and it's not until Sunday morning that we think about him again. Or it might be that we sort of check in on a more regular basis, we pray in the morning, we go to small group, we kind of serve in some way at church or in the community, but in between those times, we're not really thinking much about Jesus at all. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to compartmentalize work and rest, God, everything else. But what would it look like if we never stepped out of the God headspace? If we never stepped out of thinking about him? And how would this change the way that we live? And as we're thinking on this series of work, how would that impact the way we work? We're going to read our passage from this morning. It's from Colossians. We're in chapter 3. We're looking at verses 22 to 25. And this section of this letter to the Colossian church is about kind of giving instructions to Christian households, different members of Christian households. And we're looking at the bit that is specifically speaking to slaves. So it says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. So Paul is speaking directly here to slaves, and I think it's quite difficult for us to sort of wrap around and comprehend what life might have been like for a slave. They're not a day-to-day part of our life in 21st century Britain, not they're not a thing. We know that there's this huge underground movement of slavery that still exists, but they're not something that we kind of necessarily rub up against on a regular basis. But in the first century, slaves were incredibly common. We're talking sort of one slave to every three to five people that weren't a slave, and that's just sort of what's recorded. There was likely way more than that. And these guys had an incredibly limited life. They had no personal rights at all under Roman law. They couldn't own a property. They couldn't legally get married. They couldn't enter into any kind of contract. And they were completely the property of their masters. So they could be bought and sold. They could be mistreated at the will of the master. And they were often victims of physical and sexual abuse. And despite actually lots of them being quite well educated and playing a significant role in society, The only things that are documented are their misbehaviors and not their accomplishments. So they got absolutely no credit for the work that they were doing. This was a tough life. This was a really, really tough life. And I wonder what sort of emotions they might have been experiencing. I wonder what kind of things they would have felt on a day-to-day basis. I wonder if they might have felt frustration, frustration at their lack of freedom, their lack of autonomy, maybe a sense of meaninglessness, as their work seemed so insignificant in comparison to what other people were doing, and their role in society so looked down upon. 
I wonder if they might have felt trapped, like no opportunities to try anything different or any way out. They were stuck. They were stuck in what they were doing. And I wonder if for lots of them, anger, they might have been feeling anger at the way they were being treated, the way their families were being treated, and anxiety about what might have been coming next. And when we think about the difficulties a slave would have faced, and we read this passage we've just read through their eyes, what Paul is asking them to do feels almost unrealistic. Like the phrases, the statements he uses must have felt completely unachievable to them, to someone who, where work is so negatively framed and like there's so much weighing them down. How on earth do they, you know, how can they do what Paul is asking them to do? Let's think again about the phrases he uses. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart because you are working for the Lord, with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. These are big, big claims and big commands. And what is it exactly that Paul is describing here? What do these phrases actually mean? I think what Paul is describing is worship. What he is describing is worship. Now, I wonder, what do we think of when we hear the word worship? I wonder if for lots of us, what we might think of is, is this, what we're doing together today, joining together in times of worship and praise to Jesus. When we're together on a Sunday, we sing to him, we declare who he is, we take communion together, we share in the bread and wine, and we listen to God's word. And all of this stuff is worship, and all of this stuff is really, really good. Like the Bible tells us that we need to do all of these things. But is that it? Is that it? Is there not more to worship than just that? Let's look for a moment at the person of Jesus. In Jesus, we see the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. Though completely undeserving, he surrendered his life on the cross, dying a brutal and painful death so that you and I can come into a perfect relationship with him. He was so desperate for us that he went to the ultimate lengths and paid the ultimate price because he loves us. He loves us, and now we are able to step into his beautiful presence, to live a life in complete freedom and have the hope of eternity together with him because of his grace. So what is worship? Worship is our response to this beautiful truth and who Jesus is. Nothing, absolutely nothing we can ever do can ever compare to what Jesus has done for us. Nothing we will ever have will ever be enough to thank him for his sacrifice because he gave absolutely everything for us. He gave up his life. So what can we offer him? What can we give him in response? All we can offer him is ourselves our lives, that is the only response that we have, is to offer our lives wholeheartedly, unashamedly, 
completely and utterly to Jesus. Not just a small part, not just Sundays, but everything. The good, the bad, our work, our rest, our family, our friends, our thoughts, our feelings, it all, it all can be worship. This is what worship is. It's the overflow of our love for God and our gratitude to him spilling out into everything that we do. And when we do this, when we offer our lives to Jesus in an act of worship, what happens is His name is glorified in this world. We lift high the name of Jesus and we declare that he is king over everything. Now, our lives are a far, far cry from ancient slavery. And what we experience in the Western workplace is absolutely, completely different from the oppression that they would have been facing. But let's just think for a moment. Let's think about the emotions that we thought about earlier a slave might be feeling. And I wonder, have you ever felt frustration at work? Have you ever felt anger at the way you've been treated? Have you ever felt that your role is meaningless or insignificant? Have you ever felt bored or not enjoyed what you're doing? Have you ever compared yourself to others or felt looked down upon? Have you felt stifled or trapped or anxious? I'm going to take a step out here and say that I imagine that every single person in this room will have it experienced at least one of those emotions in their workplace. Whatever your work may be, whether you're in a formal employed role, whether you're a mum or a dad or retired or a volunteer, whatever work looks like for you, I'm going to say that we will have experienced at least one of those negative emotions. Yes, we might not be in slavery, Work is hard. Work is hard and work is frustrating. And we might not actually feel we have the ability to worship God when we feel so down by the weight of the work that we are doing. Just because we don't experience the oppression that slaves did doesn't mean that we don't experience negativity at work. Words that Paul is speaking are just as relevant to us today as they were then. A couple of years ago, uh, me and Will, my husband, and it's on the screen earlier, were driving from Cardiff to Southampton. Southampton is where we, we lived before we were here in Bristol, and Cardiff where my parents live, and we were driving home on the M4. And um, Will turned to me part of the way home and was like, what does that sign say? And I was like looking at it, thinking, right, you know what motorway signs are like? They're big, they're blue, they're bold. It's very difficult to miss what they say. And we were pretty close to it, to be honest. And I was slightly concerned that he could not read what this sign said. And Will was like, no, no, there's no problem. I can see everything fine. I never have any problems with my vision. It's just a sign. There's no problems. Anyway, I ground him down over a period of time. Actually, out he hadn't had his eyes tested for 10 years <laughs> so I think it's probably best time that you go and get your eyes checked so anyway off he went and of course he needed glasses which I was a little bit smug about because I was right um, but yeah he, he needed glasses and a couple of 
later, the glasses arrived, and he put them on, and he was literally like, wow, oh my goodness, I had no idea how blurry my vision had got. He was like, it's almost like my life has moved from an SDTV to a HDTV. He's like, this is amazing, and I know if you guys here have got HDTV, HDTV, you notice it when you go back to SD, there is a difference. This had like transformed his vision, but he had had no idea that he needed the glasses before he put them on. And I want to challenge us today. I wonder if we need to choose to put on some glasses. We need to change the lens that we are viewing our lives through. We need to choose to view our whole lives as an opportunity to worship God. We need to choose to worship God when we're working, when we're resting, when we spend time with family, when we feel angry or sad or happy or bored or excited or anxious, whatever it might be in good times and in bad, we need to make an active choice to view it all as an opportunity to worship God. And if we do this, If we choose to worship God in all that we do, how will this affect the way that we view our work? I believe it will change everything. It will change everything because when we are worshipping Jesus, what we are doing has ultimate purpose and ultimate meaning because what we will be doing if we are worshipping Worshipping him is glorifying the name of Jesus and lifting him high. So when we get out of bed in the morning and when we greet our families, we can be worshipping Jesus. When we get our kids dressed, when when we play with them, when we make their lunch, when we pick them up from school, we can be worshipping Jesus. When we drive to work, we can be worshipping Jesus. When we clean the bathroom, when we mop the floors, when we do the shopping, when we manage accounts, we can be worshipping Jesus. When we treat the patient, when we teach the student, when we arrest the offender and drive the bus, we can be worshipping Jesus. When we meet a friend for coffee, when we comfort someone who is grieving, when we serve the poor in our community, we can be worshipping Jesus. When we file the report that we didn't even write ourselves, when we get the coffee for our boss, when we redo the task we have done over and over and over again, we can still be worshipping Jesus. And as we worship Jesus through all of these things, we lift his name high, we glorify his name to every seemingly dull boring and frustrating and meaningless task or job job has ultimate and eternal meaning and purpose because Jesus is being declared as king and we are offering him all that we have. I think there are three groups of people that Jesus specifically wants to minister to today. And what we're going to do is just have a short time and sort of share about each one. And then we're going to have an opportunity to pray for each other and to respond. So the first is those who, as I've been speaking, felt a strong sense of conviction 
that you want to make the decision to view your whole lives as an opportunity to worship Jesus. You want worship to be the whole of your life, not just on Sundays, not just your time of prayer, but everything. You want worship to spill out into everything that you're doing, and you want to make a decision today to commit to that. The second group, I think for some of us, the idea of worshipping God in our work, in our place of work, whatever that might be, whatever that means for you, might feel particularly challenging. You may be feeling deeply frustrated by your job at the moment. You might be bored. You might be anxious about what is coming up in this next season or maybe even what's happening right now, and you wonder how. How can I worship God in this? And I think Jesus is prompting us to look to him today to look to his cross, remind ourselves of why we are worshipping. When we're struggling, we need to remember the deep, deep love that he displayed on the cross for us and to respond from that place of love and thankfulness to him. I think Jesus really wants to remind people today of his grace and love for them. And the third group, I think there might be some of us who feel particularly today that their work is meaningless and doesn't matter. You can't see how what you're doing has any value, let alone value in the kingdom of God. And I think today that God wants to speak truth over you and say, my child, if you view what you are doing as worship, to me, then you are shining for me, and that is everything. What you're doing has ultimate meaning and has ultimate purpose because you are glorifying me, and to God that is a sweet, sweet sound. If you are worshipping him, no matter what you are doing, no matter how dull or insignificant it might feel to you, you are worshipping him, and this how he sees you. This is how he views what you are doing. Everything has meaning when we do it for Jesus. So I'm going to invite Alan up now to maybe play some, some music and we're just going to have a time where we respond to God. And I wonder if any of those three groups, whether you feel that God is specifically speaking to you and asking to respond. And I think if you feel that you fit into any of those categories, I wonder if you just want to stand now. If you want to view your whole life as worship, you want God to remind you afresh of his grace to help you with your struggles at work or if you're feeling like your job or your role is meaningless I invite you to stand
amazing. We're just going to pray for these guys now as they make this declaration, this commitment to Jesus. I don't know if you're stood around someone who's sat around someone who's praying, you might just want to lay a hand on them. And if you're asking to receive from Jesus, you might just want to hold your hands out. And we're just going to say, come, Holy Spirit. your people as they make this response to you. I wonder if some of you might be feeling as you hold your hands out like a weight in your hand, like that God is placing on you his authority, he's placing on you his strength. He's saying that I will give you all that you need. I will give you all that you need. I am so thankful for the way you are responding to me this morning. Encourage you to keep receiving from him, keep receiving his spirit, keep welcoming him in. Stay in this place of receiving from God. We're going to kind of join in our last song of worship together. So I invite you to stand. But if you're meeting with Jesus, just continue to receive from him. Continue to receive his love and his grace that he lavishes on us.